Hello, and welcome back to Watch Party, a Lord of the Rings, where we look at Tolkien through the lens of adaptation. I am so excited to be here with my co-host, Jen Gallagher, who now has the light of the trees in her eyes, and therefore she is Galadriel, our Lady of Light. Finally! I've been waiting for you to name me Galadriel. It finally <laughs> happened. It feels like the right moment. Oh. Yes. And I am joined tonight by your host, Halbrand, the mysterious shipwrecked character who oh. we met last night. A character I am very much on the fence about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Me too. <laughs> we will get to that. Oh, good. We're being honest. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. We're being super honest about our hot takes tonight. Folks, you're getting our reactions to the first two episodes of The Rings of Power, which dropped or premiered last night. Michael saw it early, as you know, but I saw it for the very first time last night, and I am so fired up. I'm floored. I'm ready to talk about it. So we're yeah. just gonna we're just gonna chat away about um, thoughts, feelings, and uh, commentary. And we're, we're feeling big feelings. We got big feelings going on, especially you, because I mean, I've had about a week to stew on my feelings and sort things out and uh, i'm excited to hear your thoughts now that you finally had a chance to to see it and i i know you know you the first time you watch these two episodes it's there's a lot going on and so i i'm i hand the floor to you i hand the mic to you i want to hear everything okay. you have to say i mean i have a lot i'm dying to say too because i had to bite my tongue last time but um i think yeah. i really want to hear your hot takes okay hot takes okay first of all love the prologue prologue was great I thought it was beautiful um it was perfect it was a tad long but I think it was necessary to establish where we are in the timeline what's going on who is you know they introduced Sauron really early which was a surprise right a little bit of a surprise to me um but I loved the prologue the language in the prologue was beautiful the scenes in the prologue were absolutely beautiful um so Lo yeah, I love that we got all that first stage history, the first yeah. stage battle. So epic. Any moments um, jump out at you from the prologue? Um, jeez. Uh, I mean, I loved seeing, I loved seeing the, just the scenes of her childhood and the, the light mm. of the two trees. Those were just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and all the all the landscape shots where they're going, you know, they're hunting down Sauron. Those were so pretty just to see in action. Yeah. Love the landscape shots. Um, and also, you know, what I thought was really well done was that they when they were describing the backstory of the way that Sauron or sorry, Morgoth um, ruins the light of destroys their trees. That was uh -huh. very well done because they also just flash the shadow of Morgoth. Yes. Right. Then that is a very, very critical they left more to the imagination yes they let kept it vague kept keep it vague let the viewer do the work don't come out and reveal too much too soon um right. right and it can get over the top cheesy if you do that so that was very very well done love the prologue um because yeah, if if they had actually cast morgoth with as like gotten an actor cast him as morgoth we zoom in we see morgoth's face right it doesn't matter how much they dress him up and give him big crown and make try and make him look amazing if we like are zooming in and seeing in 1080p the face of morgoth it's just it's not going to it's not going to have the type of effect that you want you know you have to leave it sort of beyond comprehension right because morgoth and the valor they really are beyond comprehension and we hear a lot about them but their essence and how they really are it kind of defies visualization and depiction so and I it's think, also pretty, exactly. And it's also vague in the books. You know, yeah. the way that Sauron operates can be somewhat vague or how sure, he returned Sauron, to yeah. Middle Earth. Like, he did he fly back? He kind of flew back. <laughs> His essence came back. You know, right, it's, it is right. kind of vague. So that was really smart. Um, I'm going to continue just with things I loved. Well, let me, really, let me yeah, jump uh, in. So before we jump too far past the prologue, um, I like the light of the two trees too. The only thing I didn't like was the the very close-up CGI depiction of the two trees being poisoned. I haven't really heard didn't anybody else like complain. That? I didn't like it. I, didn't I like loved it. It looked like a video game to me. It was the only instance where the CGI or the the visuals were not excellent. Because that's something I think throughout the show, say what you want about anything, the visuals are just top-notch. Oh, like, yeah. The CGI uh, for the two trees getting poisoned, I just didn't like the look of it. But it's like one second long, so it, it 
not really a big deal. But Oh, I really liked it because I was thinking, how do you depict that? How are mm. you going to show them rotting? I guess you could have shown them just straight up rotting. Yeah. But I love that they were like, oh, we're going to because it's hard to tell what's happening at first. You're like, are they on yeah. fire? What's yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like the actually, shot of the darkening of Valinor where it's just like lights out. All of a sudden, it's kind of a barren wasteland. Like this, this beautiful, unbelievably beautiful place is now dark. And because of the absence of light, it just feels so barren. I like that moment. Again, it's just like a second, but it hits you. And I had forgotten about that. I mean, obviously, the darkening of Valinor is a chapter in the Silmarillion. And I remember reading that as a kid and just being like, hit in the gut like the visuals me like imagining that and actually Tolkien does a great job describing that like the wailing of the elves when they realize the the light of the trees is gone and that, they're, that they've been it's destroyed. a tragic I mean, scene oh you know and so imagining that in my head that was a huge part of how I experienced the Silmarillion but then over time I almost like kind of forgotten about it or like the image of that moment I had forgotten that that was there and so when I saw that it was like it brought that back for me. It brought back the experience, mm. like that, the headcanon for me, the the feelings and images I had in my head of the darkening of Eleanor. It like reminded me, I was like, oh yeah, there's this amazing scene. And I, I remembered all that. So I feel like I'm going to have a lot of moments like that with the show where it reminds me of something from my prior readings of the Silmarillion that I'd maybe forgotten or where it's not at the top of my brain and it brings it to the top of my brain and I get to kind of re-experience it. And that's exactly what you want when you're watching the show. You want to you want to have that sort of nostalgia. Yeah. Um, you want to have something that triggers a memory of reading those books and what that experience was like. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Elf Children? Elf Children. Um, okay, so I was not, I, I'm, I guess when I said the prologue, I meant more her narration. I thought was really excellent. Yeah. The elf children I wasn't totally wild about. Um mm-hmm. I don't know that I could I could take it or leave it, to be honest. Take it or take it or leave the elf children. And I thought the the line was a little heavy handed where she says, It's not going to going to float. It's going to sail. <laughs> you know, and the delivery was a little uh, Yeah, it was a little heavy handed that. So uh-huh. I could really have done without the elf children and then the Galadriel, you know, the Finrod, the older brother, uh-huh. didn't quite hit it out of the park for me, which was a big yeah. bummer because I think it's really important in those first few minutes to establish um, the tone and the of the whole show. And that just and you got to nail that. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I think that her narration portion was perfect and the visuals were perfect, um, just that particular part of dialogue did not work for me. The dialogue between Finrod and Galadriel was um, a little too on the nose and a little mm. a little bit, um, yeah, just a little heavy handed for me. Yeah, I see what you're saying. and I, th- I think I kind of feel the same way. It is interesting. We've heard in interviews with the showrunners that one of the themes or the kind of the primary theme of this show is, uh, you know, how far into the darkness do you go to save the ones you love? You know, are you willing to touch the darkness? And that is basically stated by Finrod in this opening scene very explicitly so i mean if i hadn't heard the interviews maybe i wouldn't realize that this is the theme of the show but it did kind of feel obvious like finrod saying what the moral of the story is but uh so i'll be you know maybe that's good or bad maybe it should be that obvious and so we can sort of track that theme as the show goes on but uh yeah i thought the scenes i don't know how i feel about them overall the elf children scenes i don't know that i like them or i don't know that i dislike them i I think i just felt very weird. I was like, I don't know that I've ever spent any time thinking about elf children. And the reason for that is Tolkien barely ever references them. There are a couple references in the Hobbit. You, they talk about elf children singing and the, the voices of elf children when uh, Bilbo and company are walking into Rivendell. So you hear about it then. I think there may be a couple of other references somewhere, but I can't even bring them to mind. And so what are elf children like? You know, I don't think of elves as being children. I think of them as being these like grand immortal beings. So kind of seeing them depicted and in kind of the first scene or one of the first scenes, which is like very, very critical. Clearly this is like supposed to be an important, I mean, it's the first scene. So it's an important setup scene, right? It's prime real estate. You got to grab your viewer immediately. And the way they choose to do that is with a childhood flashback for Galadriel. Um, that we're never going to return to. I don't think we're ever going to go back to Chad Galadriel. I, I would really doubt it. So it seemed like a really odd choice. Um, 
Yeah, and, I, agree. I totally agree. And see kind of like, you know, the playground bullying between them. It's like, all right, it yeah. feels like very human. It's not like, but it's not bad. It's not, I just don't know how I feel about it. And if mm-hmm. I guess I want that first scene to, I want to love it. And I mm-hmm. didn't love it. I just thought I it was didn't like, love okay. it. We didn't need to go that far back. We didn't need to go to her childhood necessarily, but. Right. I mean, um, it's, they're clearly setting up, and we've talked about this many times in the podcast leading up to it. So I think we should pat ourselves on the back that the relationship between Galadriel and Finrod is going to be critical, critical for Galadriel's arc. It's going to be what motivates her, what drives her. She's the pain of losing Finrod is going to be ever present with her. So clearly that's why they set this up as the first scene because yeah, it's her motivation and it's going to be her motivation all throughout and the trauma of losing Finrod. So, all right, they show Galadriel having a like really touching big brother moment with Finrod I understand narratively why they wanted to put that up front. Um, so I, 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 like I said, I don't hate it. I, I understand it. I just also didn't totally love it. What was with uh, Finrod's haircut too? Just the whole aesthetic of Finrod. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not usually one know. that it bugs me that much, but it kind of bugged me. <laughs> really? Did you yeah. want it to be longer or just different? No, he just looked so modern hmm. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll get to the modernity within the show that, but who's to say what you know elvish me, hairstyles are no that, i know, you know it's okay it's i'm just gonna let that one go yeah yeah <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it's fine um but we gotta i think moving on um yeah god boy this is gonna be so hard because i i just want to keep talking about that scene and that scene we could spend a whole <laughs> hour never, talking about that scene i know i could spend a long time talking about every scene that's the problem but okay the, the thing that that made me sit up in my chair for the first time i mean a the music that coming oh, in that it started yes. with like i remember when the sound design and the music started coming in and fellowship of the ring i was like oh beautiful i had sort of a similar feeling here with mm-hmm. it was a beautiful song and so that was really nice but then the thing that really made me sit up in my chair was when we get the flash to you know some first stage battle i don't think we can really pinpoint it at this point uh because they've kind of mushed things together but we see in that first stage battle, we see dragons and mm-hmm. eagles fighting, or at least yeah. eagles. And I, th- and I think it's a dragon. dying. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yes. Right, right, right. The and eagles the gra- are not the, the CGI saviors. The there. Yeah. yeah. The CGI there was really phenomenal. Like CGI oh, throughout. Perfect. Just, so good. Nobody can say, as you said, visuals just so beautiful. I love the very dramatic lighting and yeah. it's just, it, yeah, it really, really is captivating. Like, yeah. This is the most expensive show ever made, and I think it, you know, the visuals reflect that. Yeah, I mean, I saw that moment, and I, like, my heart started beating. I started breathing heavily in my seat, you know? I was like, oh, this is so cool, you know? I literally was, like, leaning forward and sitting up straighter, and um, that, that was a, a moment that really, really grabbed me. When I talked about how some of the moments from this prologue grabbed me as much as the prologue from Jackson's Fellowship, that was one of the scenes in particular I was thinking about. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so great. It's a great scene. And, you know, that's the thing is there was a lot of action in this show in both episodes. A lot of action. But I didn't think there was too much action. And I'm someone who's not, you know, I've been like, they need, we need, both of us have been like, they need a slow burn. I hope it's not too action-packed, too many fight sequences. And I actually think there was a balance I think there was a pretty good balance. It leaned a little more heavily into the action side. Um, but I still think that there were some really nice moments, like with the Hobbits, the Harfoots, for example, that yeah. were a nice contrast and offset um, the more action-heavy scenes really nicely. Um, and speaking of which, I I really enjoyed the Harfoots so much more I than I you. thought I would. I told you You did. You, you said that, and... I was still skeptical, and it's yeah. true. I really yeah. loved. There's like a Lost Boys quality to them all emerging oh, yeah. for the first time, like a Neverland quality to them coming yeah. out of the the earth and and cropping up, and they're just. <laughs> I thought they were very enchanting, and that little um, that actress, what is her name? Our main Kavanaugh. Yes. Michaela Cavanaugh, I believe. Michaela Cavanaugh, yeah. She's wonderful. She's very yeah. charming um, uh-huh. and a wonderful she does a great actor. Job, yeah. a and she has some really emotive actor. moments too. Yeah, she's not just like a cute little Harfoot, you know. She like there are moments where she's tearing up and where like where she is talking to the meteor man and saying, "I'm sorry, I thought I could help you, but I guess I can't." 
there's real pain in her face. And Yes, uh, she's someone who has a lot of range, which I appreciated yeah. because I think there was a little bit of hollowness to me for some of the other actors. And I'm hoping that it's just that, okay, this was the first two episodes. We're going to see them change and grow and there'll be more range shown. Yeah. Um, Boy, something really on. threw me for a loop with that actress. Uh, I, th- I think in one of the earlier teasers, you commented on, oh, she's just so cute. Have you ever seen a cuter face? And we were talking, you know, I was always seeing her as this like cute little impish person. And I, I thought, okay, this actress is like, you know, 17 years old, maybe, or something like a child. I see a child when I look at her in her hard foot getup. And then when I saw the cast um, in some of the promotional pictures, when they weren't like in their set garb, they were just looking all dressed up. Like she's a, she's a full on adult. Like, she- yeah, she's like 20 something. <laughs> I was like, who's that? Who's that? That's Mark Gallagher. Like, it, it just blew my mind. She's like a full-on yeah. adult. But um, they – and the same for goes for the other Harfoot actress too. Like, they both seem so childlike when they're Harfoots. And then they're I see great. them on the red carpet and I'm like, oh, yeah. these are adults. How they did they like do that? Adults. And it's just – They transformed. They transformed. Yeah. Yeah. They Those two were really fun to watch. Very Merry mm-hmm. and Pippin vibes. But they yeah. they are dynamic. They were they were great. Um it did. It did harken to Mary and Pippin. Uh, I think it's a little different because it's it's kind of more of a classic, um, uh, like troublemaker and begrudging friend, like uh, loyal begrudging friend, accomplice. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mary and Pippin were both. I mean, Pippin was a little bit more of a rascal, but they were both rascals. Like they were yeah. in the. I'm thinking actually of the movies a little bit more, but they were both kind of rascally in the movies because mm-hmm. that's that's what they're trying to allude to like they're trying to connect our minds i think in the show to the some of the movie characters and in the movies mary pippin were like both rascals and they're both in it together and this one nori is clearly the leader she's the one who's always getting into trouble and the other one's like nori don't do that again we're gonna get in trouble yeah like i can't believe i have to have you rescue this meteor man (laughs) right but right but it's cute it's a very cute dynamic it's cute but yeah speaking of meteor man Mm. i I'm feeling that this guy has got to be Gandalf mm. based on the way he looks, the way he interacts with nature, and also that moment where he gets like a little aggressive with Poppy or uh, not Poppy, uh, Nori. Nori. Yeah. And he starts sort of yelling, and there's that effect with the trees, kind of everything caving in. Sort of, it's not quite the vertigo effect, but it's, do you know what I'm talking no, about? I, I when know everything exactly what you're darkens and yeah. his voice gets louder. Well, what makes you say that it's Gandalf and not any other? Of it the could Astari? be a blue wizard. It could yeah. absolutely be a blue wizard. But it makes me think we can probably put to bed the idea that this guy is Sauron once and for all. I really do. Well, did I not mean, get Sauron as a Maiar would have all those abilities, right? I mean, I don't think it's Sauron. I never thought it was Sauron, but, you know, the, the use of magia or some sort of magic in those scenes i mean doesn't mm-hmm. rule out sauron right but i i mean i agree with you i don't think it's sauron yeah I don't think so. <laughs> I, but um yeah enjoyed that plot line it was it was so it was nice to watch those um hobbits after the intensity of the other plot lines because everything else is is pretty um pretty intense yeah, yeah. well and their plot line has an intensity to it i mean obviously there's a lot of levity but the Mm -hmm. stuff with meteor man those scenes between nori and meteor man like there's something serious going on there Mm -hmm. and you know the scene where meteor man he can't talk he's Mm -hmm. like he's forgotten how to talk or at least he can't talk to the harfoots and they come up to him with lanterns and he he basically gets all the fireflies out of poppy's lantern and uses like talks to them Yes, I loved right. that scene. But it was kind of a dark scene, right? Because after he uses them they to, die. to communicate something, they all die, right? So there's a darkness there and you hear the music swell in and take a bit of a dark turn. And so what is, is that just, you know, is this Gandalf or one of the other Astari just can't control their powers yet and accidentally kill these things? Is that a harbinger of uh, potentially a future fatality within the Harfoot ranks caused by Meteor Man because he can't control himself? Um, you know, what does that all mean? Clearly that is, I think that is hinting at something. It's foreshadowing. Um, I don't know exactly how that'll manifest, but that was really interesting. There's some darkness there. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. The dynamic though is really, is really sweet to watch between Nori and, uh, Meteor Man. And I love that they're, 
we've again got that relationship, the earliest, maybe the earliest glimpse of the wizard mm-hmm. hobbit relationship that we're ever going to see. And I, I, I do agree with you. I'll tell you, I was playing a little bit of Devil's Advocate, but I am kind of thinking this is probably Gandalf. As much as I don't want it to be for a variety of reasons, probably chief of which is I just want to see one of the blue wizards. I've been dying to know what the blue wizards are up to. This is a perfect opportunity to, to introduce a blue wizard. It would be allowed. It would be consistent with a version of uh, canon, if we can use that word. So why? please, please make it a blue wizard. But I think you're probably right. I think it's Gandalf. Or at least signs are pointing to Gandalf for a I couple mean, of reasons. I think the whispering to the fireflies reminds me of him whispering to the moth, the moth. on the top of uh, Orthanc, right? And there's a rune, like he's you know um, scraping runes into the rock. One of the runes looks suspiciously like a, a rune that Gandalf used in the, in the books as well. So Wow, eagle eye. Yeah, but that, well, I, I didn't spot it. I, you know, someone else spotted it and put it on Twitter, which I saw, so I'm kind of cheating there. But that would actually, that would also, Gandalf would bother me just generally. It would also bother me if he's using those runes because the runes he used, they weren't like uh, Quenya lettering, you know. So if he's in a starry coming over from Valinor, why is he using... <laughs> Kurth runes or Sindarin runes or Dwarven runes or any any runes other than the lettering that he used in Valinor. So it's like, that's my, get my like lore brain twisted up in knots. But I'm just going to not worry about it. I'm just not going to worry about it for now. And we'll see this mystery unfold. Because it is, like you, I'm fascinated by the mystery man, mystery man, meteor man mystery. So uh, I am enjoying that plot line so far. Yeah, I'm along for the ride with that one. Um, Yeah, yeah. I feel like with the with the Galadriel plotline, it was a little bit harder for me. I feel like um, while I think Morvith is a phenomenal actor, I think yeah. it's probably directorial. But all we saw from her was sort of the same, like kind of hardened, uh-huh. grief stricken character. And um, I guess I'm waiting for some more dynamic performances. Um, I so I'm gonna disagree with you. So we'll, we'll have. You know, this will be one of those moments where we disagree. I thought her performances were great. I I, I love them, um, and they weren't dynamic. You're right. There wasn't a huge range in what we saw, but they were. V- what she did was very understated the whole time, um, and it was all in the eyes. That it was all subtlety. That just at, you know, there's a scene where I forget his real name now, but Gigwit is what he was being called <laughs> before. Basically, one of the elves in her company, and she's standing on. You know, they, they scale the mountain and he's saying, maybe we should go back. Maybe you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's just like the slight widening of her eyes. Her gaze becomes a little more steely. It's like she's repressing this like anger, you know, wanting to be angry at him for his his doubt. And it all came through, but in a very subtle way. And I think if you just watch her eyes, there's so much. Oh, I think she's a phenomenal there. actor. I just think the way that the character is written mm-hmm. i want to see i just want to see a little bit more yeah um uh, more than like rage and grief and rage and uh-huh. grief and rage and grief and i'm sure we will they're just establishing yeah. that her character is in like a great deal of pain but well and we like, saw a I little bit no... of that congeniality with with her and elrond elrond's really the only person we see interact with where she views that, that person as a friend that's and... true i did i did um I did like those scenes, even for all my criticisms. I liked the, I liked the scenes with the elves. I'm still kind Mm -hmm. of digesting these new elves and the new style um, and the language that is used. But I did, I did appreciate those scenes in Linden. Well, Uh, tell me about the language because I know that was one of the things you talked about in advance. You want the dialogue to be good. You want the writing, you know, the words that come out of people's mouths. You want that to be good. And that's of paramount importance to you. You know, how do you feel about that so far in these first couple episodes? Um, You know, it was really a mixed bag for me. I thought there were certain scenes that were just totally on point. And then there were others for me where they inserted a lot of modern language that I thought was almost like verging on lazy. (laughs) frankly uh-huh. to be brutally honest like for example there's a scene where she's on the raft with Halbrand Halbrand says a lot of things i don't know i don't i'm not wild about Halbrand like you so his all of his dialogue i was like what what what's this guy's deal 
Um, and then she's on the boat saying something like, well, going back is not an option. Uh-huh. And it just sounds, inc- that kind of thing sounds incredibly modern to my not, ear. Not an option. Yeah. Not and, an option. you know, mm-hmm. versus why not say something like, I cannot return. Yes. Right. Boom. That's all you need to say. She doesn't yeah. even explain to him why she can't go back. But right. just uh, things like that. There were a lot of a lot of examples of that in these first two episodes, just where I thought, well, it's not being true to the professor to have language that doesn't sound like it's straight out of the books. And man, I feel like that guy from Jurassic Park, you know, that when he says, man, I hate being right. Because this is what I harped on for a long time. I said, yeah. you know, they don't have the books. They don't have the dialogues from the book to go off of. So I'm afraid it's going to feel like it's people trying to sound like the books and just inventing things that just aren't going to nail it. And um, unfortunately, there were times where I felt like that was exactly what happened, uh-huh. where it was just a reach. And like, it could be the case that they're, it's all purposeful. I'm sure it's all purposeful. They want to draw in audiences. But, you know, I would argue that Jackson, the Jackson films did just an incredible job. Granted, they had the books to go off of, but there was still a lot of invented dialogue in those films that still sounded so authentic and so authentic to the original. Um, So that was kind of, that was, that was a little rough for me. The dialogue I would say was my biggest criticism thus far. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, I would, I I know what you mean that there were some moments in dialogue where it's a bit anachronistic or, even like, you know, not an option is a bit of an anachronism, but also it's just kind of like not very concise, you know, and I want Galad- every word that comes, I want the way Galadriel speaks to be so elevated and concise, right? So yeah, I, I agree with you. There were some moments, but also, as you said, there were some moments in the Jackson films, but they ultimately get outweighed by the good moments. And right now I'm feeling like the good dialogue, the good writing is outweighing the bad moments, mm-hmm. even if I think psychologically the bad moments stick with you more, especially in the first viewing. Like I, I walked out of the theater after I watched it for the first time, like kind of struggling because I was fixating on a few things I really didn't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even from a lore perspective, just from a like writing or scene, like blocking dialogue perspective. I was like, those are the things that my brain was latching onto. But as time has gone on, I kind of like, I can move away from that and appreciate all the good stuff. And there is way more, in my opinion, I saw more good dialogue than bad. Mm-hmm. And for example, one of the, I think I said that there is some dialogue um, it, when I was hinting at it before, after New York, I said, there's some dialogue in here that's as good as anything that you can mm-hmm. read in Tolkien. And I, I thought, I thought that of the dialogue between Galadriel and Elrond, I thought that was so, so powerful, such a powerfully written scene I thought there was powerful text. I thought there was powerful subtext. Uh, it, it all there are layers to their conversation, you know, and it, it is one of the most profound expressions of not just grief, but I mean, we talked about PTSD. You know, Galadriel recognizing the trauma that lives inside of her and that she can't shake it. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I just thought there was so much going on in, in that exchange, and I loved it so. There, yes. you know, there's there's bad, but there's also some really good stuff. The actor cast as Elrond is phenomenal. I mean, oh, he's yeah. great. He's a joy to watch. Um, yeah. I wish I could recall his name right now. Robert Aramaya. Robert Aram. Thank you. Wonderful acting. So good. I mean, I have very little complaints about the actors cast in the show. I think the acting right. overall is really, really phenomenal. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody who just like really blew it. In terms of acting, and I can't think of anybody. I mean, really across the the board, they're doing good. I thought the cast was great. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Rennells, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. 
Oh, I loved the elven scenes. I thought um, Benjamin Walker was was very good. Um, I also love the scenes in Moria. I'm sure you did as well. I yes. have my gripes there too, but <laughs> man, Kazadum looked incredible. Um, I I struggled a bit with the dialogue between Elrond and Durin hmm. when they're in the elevator again. Um, I won't hype on, harp on the dialogue the whole time, but that exchange felt a little odd to me. Which lines are you talking about? Where they're talking about, oh, you missed 20 years of my life and I'm mad at you and I'm going to berate you for it. You know, I've gotten married. This is from episode two. Oh, I, yeah, I know the scene. I, okay, I liked, the, I liked the exchange there. I liked the dialogue there. You liked the dialogue there. I, Maybe I, I, did, I need I to did. rewatch it. Um, and it, then was there, there any specific line that it, it felt too modern or it felt campy or forced? What was it? I just, like? the whole argument to me was the whole argument um, exchange between them just didn't feel like something you would read in the books. Hmm. Like it would have been expressed differently. Uh, those, Interesting. Those grievances, you know. I Interesting. There's not instances, there's not a lot of instances where somebody's like outright um, given someone a once over for something like, something that they feel aggrieved about. It felt very fabricated. Interesting. It, that does seem to be how they're setting Durin up, um, that he's going to be very, very much a wear my heart on my sleeve type of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of more emotional and passionate and impassioned. And we see that in this scene. Um, and maybe that, you know, I, I guess that will strike people differently. I, I don't mind it. What I liked about that scene was it sets up the differences between elves and other peoples, in this case dwarves, but other peoples in general, uh, when it comes to lifespan and the way that they perceive time. Mm-hmm. You know, Elrond says, Duran says it's been, 20 years and Elrond says oh it's only been 20 and Doran's pissed he's like it's been 20 years I got married I had kids you know I lived a whole life and right. Elrond's just kind of like it didn't occur to him you can see on his face he just didn't realize and and Doran's mad about this like you weren't even thinking about me and it's just <clears throat> a miscommunication basically because Elrond was kind of thinking of Doran but th- he was thinking about him the way that elves do and where lots of time can pass and it's okay and he wasn't really uh, recognizing that Doran lives a much shorter life. And so if you're away for 20 years, that's not what a friend does, at least for a mortal. And that was the first instance where we see the mortal and immortal uh, tension. And we're going to see a lot more of it as, as the season goes on. But it was the first example of it. And it was between friends and who two characters who later on we see that there's a really profound closeness. I mean, they're really beating that into us that they are profoundly close friends. So I thought I thought it did some good work there. You yeah, know. I mean, I am glad they're exploring the friendship between elf and dwarf. I definitely am, you know, glad to see that depicted. And also, there were man, there were a lot of great scenes in Kaza Doom. I loved Disa. I thought she was wonderful. Yeah, and I even appreciated the br- the let's break these big rocks scene. Like that scene was kind of invigorating, and I loved the, yeah. like, the Scottish <laughs> vibes and. All of it, all of it was great. Like a lot of that was great. I did not like the burping at the table scene. I was like, again, we're getting the I dwarves know, burping. Like I could just see them all in the writers' room, and one of the writers is like, "Can we just do one burp, just one?" <laughs> Let's get it out of the way. Just get first it, episode, yeah. the dwarves appear, we'll and everyone's like, "Fine, the they can have yeah. one burp." But even then, uh, I was like, "Okay, I, we have a we've had enough dwarves burping for like a lifetime." Yeah, that one graded me as well. I was like, do why? Why do we need the burp in there? It's so unnecessary. And yes, I, I understand what it's doing. It is a very simple way of depicting the differences in culture. Mm-hmm. Elves are a little more refined. Dwarves, at least compared to elves, appear as being a little more uncouth. Um, that, But that is a, a, an adaptive choice that I don't think is supported by the text. It's not how I exactly. perceive the dwarves. like. Yes, dwarves are shorter and different than elves, but there's nothing in there that makes it that where Tolkien talks about them being like dirty or having bad table manners, you know. Um, and so that was a choice that I don't know if Jackson made that choice. I don't know if that was John Rice Davies, um, but that the actually I was thinking about that John Rice Davies' artistic choices as Gimli is now profoundly enduring. influencing. Yeah, it's enduring. It's it's infecting the way 
that dwarves will probably forever be portrayed in every Tolkien adaptation. And I love John Rice Davies. I love his portrayal. I, game loved like, I, his I love portrayal. it. Um, but like I've said about a thousand times on this podcast, I wanted to see slightly more serious dwarves. And it feels like, just based on that burp and some other stuff, they're kind of trying to link it to the the film versions of dwarves where there's a little bit more levity and they're burping and God, if we get a fart, I'm just going to get so pissed. <laughs> if one of them farts, I'm just going to die. <laughs> You'll stop watching. No, we will never stop watching. I, um, I might, I might have to turn it off and may. go cool off. Yeah. yeah you could, watch but otherwise away. I loved, I, I, I love Casa Doom as a set. I love the masks. I love the masks were cool. For the most part, I did like the dialogue. It didn't all work for me. Um, you know, I will concede that. And some of the stuff between Disa and, and Durin feels a little bit goofy and not natural. But it was also like charming and endearing and fun. Like, I can't wait to see The little kids running around with the, yeah. the heads. Like, that was cute. More kids, yeah. We got elven yeah. kids. We got dwarvish kids. Um, I can't wait to see them singing in the mountain. Like, oh, I'm so, I thought that whole yeah. thing was so cool. The we sing to find, you know, which port parts. Yeah. Of are oh, that was such a beautiful kind of like yeah. echolocate, but for humans. Right. I thought right. that was so such a clever concept. I, I was into it. I was into all the singing. In fact. Yeah. Um, even the singing on the boat with the elves. I was just gonna say that. I yeah. was into it. I felt oh, like yeah. it was so. It was such a wonderful homage to things that happen in the books and how song yeah. is such a part of yes. the books. And that could have failed miserably. That scene could have failed miserably, but it was done really well. It was very well executed. Yeah. And just right. Because it, it could have just been really cheesy and it wasn't. They somehow struck that balance. Yeah, I agree. I thought that the way they depicted Sailing into Valinor, look, there are issues with... with the lore and i'll mention that but just just the vibe the feeling the use of light and beautiful the the you know the ceremony where they take off all their their garb of war and they're back in the plain clothes that matt i don't know if you noticed this but it matched exactly what they were wearing as kids you know Mm -hmm, these are the, mm -hmm. the simple white tunics of peacetime and they're coming back to valinor this land of peace and, you know, in the books, it does talk about how <clears throat> when you sail into Valinor, you are greeted by the sound of singing, you know, mm-hmm. from Tolaresia. And it, uh, it talks about the rain clouds parting. And so then, you know, these elves, they hear that sound and they take up the songs. That's why everybody on the ship starts singing in, in unison. That was a beautiful moment and for it's me. it's just, oh, it, it was so good. I really, really loved it. Onto the lore piece of it. Yeah. There's a, a part of that that I'm a little concerned about. In the Second Age, Valinor is supposed to be part of the world, right? It's, it's a place you can sail to, and you when you sail up to it, there's buildings, and you see the buildings. Here, it's not depicted that way. It is much more uh, of a, it's, it's a heaven that you have to get through if you have the secret password, which I guess Gilgala gives them the secret password as they go in, and so it's a magical, the, the magical clouds part, and then the ship goes in, and the clouds close behind it. And they've disappeared. That's why I know it's kind of like magical. So it's almost as if they're depicting Valinor as no longer being within the circles of the world, which in the books only happens after Numenor falls, right? That's the one of the big consequences of Numenor destroying is Eru comes in and is like, all right, I'm going to reshape the world and I'm going to remove Valinor from the, from the world. I'm going to make the world a circle and you can only get there through, you know, magic, basically. Um, and so now it's almost like, have they already done that? And if that's the case, what are the ramifications of that choice on Numenor? You know, are are elves from Tolaresia still gonna visit the Numenorians? I love that. That's your gripe, though. Like, I my gripe is just that's not how it happened at all with Galadriel. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I'm over that because we knew that was coming. I mean, you're right, <laughs> you're right. But, but they um, they changed so much with her. Yeah, and. I'm okay with most of it. I'm really confused as to why they didn't just put Celeborn in there. It's okay. I okay. Here's the thing. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place because yeah, I can't. Yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. for me to organize my thoughts because I just saw it so recently. Um, 
I think they're teeing up Hal Brand to be her love interest. As I said before. Uh, no. No, I know. I am not happy about it either. I'm not thrilled about it. But I don't understand why. But all signs point to yes. But I don't understand why they couldn't have just taken Celeborn and inserted him into this story. Why do you, I don't why, understand. What signs, though? Because I, I get none of that. I, I have really? Not you seen think they'll just that... be comrades and... Yeah, I mean, what about their interactions to you has hinted that they will be romantically linked? Maybe, maybe I am just seeing something where it's not there. But I mean, I think because they or maybe have I don't this, maybe because, it is there and I don't want to see it because I don't know. they have this like I dislike you. You're an elf. You're a man. Oh yeah. Um, but they need each other in this way. Right. Um, I feel like that's how so many rom-coms begin or so many, Uh you know, love stories begin that maybe I'm just reading into that and they're going to surprise us and they are just going to be, you know, partners in partners in war and he'll go to battle and go to Middle Earth and help her fight. I mean, I think that is what's going to happen. The question is, will we be romantically intertwined? But I'm just struggling with they could have made a bet. Let's make a bet. All right. I'm saying no. You're saying yes. Yes. What's okay? What does the winner have to do? Eat a sock? No, the loser has to eat, eat a eat sock. Eat a sock? <laughs> what are we like ten? Um, <laughs> I'm not. A, I'm not above. Loser uh, sock has to watch contest. all of the Hobbit movies back to back. <laughs> I mean, we we kidding. both have, we both are gonna have to do that on this no, podcast. No, I'm so. not doing. <laughs> yes, it we are. Ever. I'm actually very excited for that. I'm very excited. No, I'm not excited. Okay. There's good stuff in there. There's good stuff in there. No, we just have to look. I will not concede that. <laughs> I do not concede that. Okay, moving. Okay, so. I, what I was saying before is Celeborn. why couldn't they have just put Celeborn in some of the scenes following her and made that into the great love story that it is. They have a great love story. They go do all these exciting yeah. things. I don't understand why that couldn't have been part of the show. It will be. I mean, I think that they will introduce Celeborn just later. Okay. Um, you know, obviously that's a change. They were supposed to have hooked up during the first age and be partners in crime at this point. Exactly. It, it you know, <laughs> I guess it's still possible that they're married, but I seriously doubt Galadriel's going anywhere without Celeborn. So I think we can safely assume that she is untethered at this point. She's single and ready to mingle. But I think they will introduce Celeborn because they have to, because they have a child and that child marries Elrond, right? So, yeah, you know, and and clearly the relationship between Galadriel and Elrond is important. So they're not going to, I don't think they're going to miss an opportunity to, explore that link and the family unity that yeah, arises I don't know it, so. because they, they very much set them up as peers you know and I like the I like the depiction of their relationship um mm-hmm. but it does seem like yeah they're just sort of peers they're buddies Elrond and Galadriel I, I yeah I see what you mean and I the only reason I think that's not the case is because of what we heard outside the show that Robert Aramayo says that she views Galadriel like she's already a legend in her own time and he looks up to her. So he has said that about his character. So I think we'll see more of that in future mm. episodes. Okay. It'll head that um, direction. And so knowing that when I viewed their conversations, I viewed it through the lens of like, wow, Elrond admires Galadriel so much, but he is very much holding his own. You know, he, he is projecting so much self-confidence um, mm-hmm. in a conversation where he is the inferior person. Now that I, I think if I, didn't have that extra sh- outside of the show information. I maybe may, would not have thought that, but that's what I think when I watch that scene now. Well, we haven't at all talked about Bronwyn and Arendir, and I want to get yeah. to them. So yeah, yeah, I was so much more into that relationship and that whole storyline than I thought it would be. I still, there were things I didn't like about it, and I'll get to that, but I really loved that relationship because mm. it wasn't too over the top. Like they weren't, I guess with these relationships, like it's, it could have been really easy for them to go really heavy into the cheesy direction of them being like too handsy or too affectionate or too this or that. And I thought it was, it was subtle. It was like really subtle. And I want to see more of their relationship. I wish we saw more of how they arrived there actually. Right. Um, That's what I was going to say. It kind of gets straight to Aaron Deere's, you know, they're being told to leave. And so Aaron Deere is, and Bronwyn, they're having this tearful moment where he's finally kind of confessing his love in a way. And she's finally realizing it in a conscious way. And yeah, I was like, we needed some build up to we get needed, to that moment. I agree. We needed to see the build up for sure. But just those two actors, they have a lot of chemistry. They're really, really great. Both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that storyline, seeing, seeing them, 
the the men the world of men and how this is going to play out and if they're going to fall this realm to sauron um and the way that all of those scenes like the scene the chase scene with the orc emerging from the ground like oh yeah literally evil emerging up from the ground i thought was really cool and scary and a cool action sequence a cool action i was into this action sequence these are not the orcs of jackson's Lord of the Rings. Let me tell no, you what. I mean, no, these no. orcs are dangerous. He had like almost superhuman strength, you know, and endurance. Yeah. He got stabbed in the shoulder and he's still throwing tables across the room. I mean, orcs are powerful, you know, befitting basically twisted versions of elves. They are elves that have been twisted, assuming that they're going with that version of, of the lore, which I imagine they would be. So, man, orcs are seriously dangerous and they're not just cannon fodder. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They were just... um that orc was really, really well done. I like that we got just one and not like a whole orcish army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and because seeing how dangerous one is makes us realize how much dangerous, how dangerous a group of them is, right? Um, yeah. Let I me was... tell you some of my gripes with the. Uh, okay. Sorry, I, I am interrupting. What were we going to say? Go, go, go. No, I was going to okay. get to the gripes now because we. Okay, gripes. <laughs> so gripes, go. Gripes. Um, so my, some of my biggest scene gripes were with Theo and part of these uh, the, the Southlander plot lines. So, for instance, let's go through a few of them. There's a random scene where Aaron, where Theo, he's alone in his house and he hears the mouses scrabbling on the floorboards. Yes, boards, I know exactly they set that what up you're earlier. Say, cause I have the but he's same like one. he's like, "Oh, <laughs> stupid mice." And he flips yes. out and smashes <laughs> a hole in his own floor. house like I had the same reaction. Same reaction. I was like, okay, this is so ridiculous. Like, I get adolescent (laughs) angst, but this is like way over the top. It's not a believable reaction unless the kid is having, like, needs to see a therapist. He's losing his shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I was like, that doesn't make sense. And then, and then it turns out there's an orc under there and his eye pops up and, and then it cuts away. And then when we come back, I guess the orc got out, like, came up through the floorboards, probably like, I don't know, a few seconds later tore up the house Theo somehow hid in uh, a little room right next to where he was a little cabinet not far like how did he escape the orc is this not believable the orc was right there he would have been in the room in like a second even if Theo hid the orc would have found him because the door is right there it's like I don't believe that that that, and then like the orc just left I just don't believe what happened there and then Bronwyn comes back and Theo opens the gate and is like, or the door and is like, uh, go get help. Go like telling his, it wasn't the way a, a, a child would act after going through experiencing a crazy trauma, like basically hiding from a monster. And then you see your mom, like I wanted kind of like a mommy moment, you know, of a, ch- of a scared child who wants to be protected and wants to run. Like, why wouldn't he run out of the house? That like, makes grab no sense. Grab her and run. Yeah. Instead, he's like, he's like, here, go get help. And I'm going to stay here for no reason whatsoever. And then she like starts to leave. And then for no reason whatsoever, turns around. I mean, maybe she's like, oh, I can't leave my child. That's what it was. But it was really heavy handed. It was like camera pan to the cupboard. Right. Pan back. She can't leave him. So she hides in the closet. And then she hears an orc. (laughs) And she's like, oh, I guess I better hide in the closet. And it's just. Some of the character motivation things were off. Like, oh, and uh, didn't you love how she was like. Aaron Deer's like, I'm going to go to this village. And she's like, wait, I'm coming with you. And just like leaves her kid. Right, right, <laughs> She's like, right. bye. I mean, Doesn't tell him. <laughs> she just goes with him to this village to hunt down God knows what. Yeah, that yeah. So that to me was another example of like, they're just like yeah. not doing their due diligence. with. And then the, the editing with they have this fight and they kill the orc and they kind of cut it. So the moment she's supposed to chop off his head. They show her in the pub or whatever, putting the head on the the bar or I guess and looking around and if you want to live, come with me or something like that. It was like a Terminator line. Come I just thought you want to live. <laughs> no, it I, sounds like we was... hate it, folks, and we don't. We love no, it. No, no, no. We love it. There's going to be moments being like honest. this. We have to be honest. Amazon's not paying us. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some. I told you there were some grown moments, and I, I have to get those out of my system. We have to, yeah, um, we have to be able to talk. But about it. <laughs> uh, you know, despite those things, I think I mentioned that the Southlander plot lines were one of the plot lines that I really found the most captivating. Like, I am interested in what's happening next. What's going to happen? There's, this, yeah, you know, a, 
other town that's been destroyed and all the orcs are under i love the portrayal of the orcs oh my god yeah the orcs Uh, are great yeah i gotta say one more thing on this before we like wrap up because in the prologue one of the little scenes that stuck out to me the most was um they had a couple shots oh like galadriel says morgoth has been defeated you know in the end morgoth was defeated but orcs like proliferated Mm. and they have a couple shots of orcs Feasting where, on a body, feasting on something, and you just see them like in a huddle, scrabbling at something on the it's ground so which you good. can't even see. But the vast majority of the frame is taken up by, by trees, and so you're actually like they're not in the center of the frame as the primary subject of a shot would be. They're in the very, very bottom. The trees are taking up the most of the shot, and somehow it's it was like very disorienting in in a way that was great mm-hmm, you know it, mm-hmm. it made it all seem so unnatural so wrong and that's what you want so i thought that was the cinematography they did a lot of little stuff like that the cinematography yeah. is pretty phenomenal like the cinematography for me gets an a plus you know whereas other elements maybe not as much but Man, overall, I just enjoyed the hell out of this thing. I can't wait to see where it goes. I want yeah. more. I want it. I need yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, we barely scratched the surface, I feel like, but we are going to have a chance to talk more about these two episodes on our stream tomorrow, on Sunday, with Fellowship of Fans. Um, um, day after tomorrow. Oh, wait. Sorry. This will air tomorrow. Sorry. Today's Friday. This will be coming out on Saturday. Yeah. So, uh, tomorrow for you listeners on sunday and jen you're rocking and rolling with the newbie panel so you'll get into all the cinematic stuff yes we'll be discussing uh, the show on its own merits i cannot wait you're gonna want to hear this guys and uh, i'll get into all the annoying lore stuff not annoying changes i just mean like we're going to be annoying nerds about everything and getting into the lore. and we got nerd of the rings matt from nerd of the rings will be joining us along with uh, other folks from fellowship of fans so Oh, it's going to be really fun. And we're going to be give, raffling off a piece of art from Justin Gerard, who's our featured artist this week, an amazing artist. There's uh, trivia. I have a trivia, trivia question. Would you trivia. like to hear it now? Should I say it now on the pod and we'll release it? Because this no, will come no, no, out no, Saturday. We, we got to do it fair, though, because we got to put the put it up on Twitter at a certain time, which we'll tell everybody in advance. We're going to tweet it out. Fellowship of Fans is going to tweet out the time that we're going to do it. And then at that time, we're going to tweet it. And then the first person to get it right gets the prize. So I, I don't want to give anybody a head start who happens to be listening to our pod. All right. No, no, no cheating. All right. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening. Please tune in Sunday, 1130 AM PST. Yes, yes, yes. For yes, more yes, yes. hot takes and lots of fun games and food and drink. We'll have the new recipes up. We'll have, you know, ways for you guys to call in chat. We'll be reading your chats. We'll be, talking to everyone we can't wait it's it's another party it's just one big party over here it's a non-stop watch party seven week party i mean <laughs> seriously we'll we'll love i'm really even if i only think the show is okay which right now i am definitely thinking it is very good it's great with some parts that i don't like mm-hmm. but that's any show but even if it were only okay i feel like i'm just gonna love the hell out of this process because i'm just Oh, there's so much fun stuff to dig into, and I'm so excited for the the lore panel that we get to do on Sunday. Ugh, so much fun. So thank you, everybody, for joining us on the podcast. Please join us on YouTube tomorrow and uh, for all the weeks to come. Until until next time, uh, have some hairy toes. Is that my sign-off? Mm-mm. <laughs> May the hair on your toes never fall out. <laughs> <laughs>